0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of our beloved podcast, Raya Affairs. We're very excited today to be your co-hosts, Marina and Serene. We're both international relations students interning at Raya. Serene, why don't you give us a quick explanation of what Raya is all about?
1: Sure, Marina. So to give our listeners a quick overview... Raya is an international think tank led by young professionals that translates the abstract world of international affairs by simplifying rather than generalizing. Raya is a place where you come to learn about the stories and worries of political leaders, the behind the scenes of decision makers, and how politics impacts and changes your life. This is Raya Affairs, filling you in wherever you are. Expressed opinions in this episode are
0: welcome, even though they're not a direct reflection of Raya. Raya specializes in unbiased writing and analysis. Anyways, last episode, we discussed President Gotabaya of Sri Lanka as he navigates through a food and fuel shortage and civil unrest. We looked into multiple factors regarding his decision-making in the political realm with Raya writer Ross Hardy, as well as the involvement of foreign actors such as the IMF, China,
1: and India, and Sri Lanka's background. So last week's topic featured questions in which we analyzed Gotabaya's financial dependence on other actors versus Sri Lanka's sovereignty, as well as the difficulty of decision-making in times of crisis, much of which uh, actually is similar to the leader we will be looking at today. Um, So to kick off this episode, we will be discussing a leader on the rise, Serbian President Vucic and his controversial camaraderie with Putin. Raya writer Michael Duffy will join us to understand how this affects Serbian interests regarding their future with the EU. Marina, on to you.
0: All right. Hi, Michael, and welcome to Raya Affairs. Why don't you just begin by introducing yourself? So where you're from, what do you do and why did you choose to
2: join Raya? Thank you so much, Serene and Marina, for having me on the podcast today. It's a real pleasure to be here on uh, Raya Affairs. Uh, my name is Michael Duffy. I'm from the United States and I'm currently a student in IE University in Madrid, Spain. And I chose Raya because I thought it was a great opportunity to have a professional experience learning about international relations, learning about geo uh, geopolitics and uh, everything that's going on today.
0: Perfect, Michael. Thanks for uh, that introduction. We're just going to ask all our writers as well this question so our listeners can get a sense of who you are, I guess, outside of just Raya. So as someone who's passionate about IR, as you just mentioned, you're a student, uh, you work with IR at, in Raya, what leader, dead or alive, who has impacted the world would you like to have a five-minute conversation with? And feel free to get as creative as you would like to.
2: Yeah, so uh, this is a really interesting question. I'd say that the one that I would like to, uh, that I would like to have a five-minute conversation with probably would be uh, toussaint Louverture, which is the uh, ex-military general of the uh, Haitian rebellion during the uh, Haitian Revolution back in 1803 to 1804. Uh, being a person of Haitian descent, you know, I think it would be an incredibly wise topic and an incredibly uh, interesting conversation.
1: Thanks for that, Michael. That's a uniquely interesting answer. So let's get right into it. To start, can you give us a quick overview of Vucic's leadership in Serbia and what his party's role is in the current political realm, especially considering uh, his recent re election?
2: Yeah, so first off, Vucic has been the longest serving uh, president of Serbia. He used to be the prime minister back in the day, and you know, recently he just got elected for his second term, uh, which is a term of five years in Serbia. He currently uh, leads it together, We Can Do Everything Coalition, which is defined as a big tent coalition uh, made up of Alexander Vucic's uh, Serbian Progressive Party, which is kind of like a a neoliberal populist uh, group that is also pro-European. And it has a you know, a wide variety of other parties across the political spectrum uh, within the coalition. So uh, in terms of uh, the recent leadership, one of the largest, you know, geopolitical goals for uh, Vucic right now is, you know, further integration into the European Union and his famous famous balancing act between uh, China, Russia and the EU, uh, which we'll get into more later, which is also one of the largest and, uh, you know, most obvious trends that is going on in his current leadership.
1: And Michael, what's the current Serbian public sentiment towards Putin and Russians? And um, is it linked to any historical ties?
2: Okay, so many, if not most Serbs feel as though the NATO intervention in 1999 and the bombing of uh, Kosovo was illegal due to the, uh, you know, lack of a trigger from the United Nations Security Council. And because of this, uh, Russia has been, you know, vocal about the um, illegality of this, uh, bombing and has you know backed Serbia in recent years, and uh, we see this you know in public sentiment today that mo- a lot of Serbians are pro Russia because of this fact.
0: And I just wanted to add on an extra question since we're on this topic in the diplomatic realm, how is Russia key to Serbia's interests regarding Kosovo?
2: Okay, so even though Kosovo has now recognized itself as an independent state uh, with support of much of the West, and although we have seen pushback from Serbia and Russia. And, you know, most of the the remaining global community, um, we see that under the pretenses of the UN Resolution uh, 1244, uh, we see that Kosovo is in international law, still a part of Serbia, um, even though that the West regards it as it is not. So we, we see that Russia has been, you know, the most reliable Security Council seat, uh, Security Council ally that Serbia has um, in, you know, Claiming that Kosovo's territory is still a part of Serbia and that Kosovo still is under, you know, Serbian rule of law and uh, the Serbian state.
0: Perfect. Thanks for clarifying that. So now that we've established, you know, the domestic sentiment towards Russia in Serbia, I wanted to understand a more economic perspective. So the level of dependence that Serbia has towards Russian gas.
2: Yeah, so keeping Russia close was a way for Vucic to protect himself before re-election and to maintain Serbia's supply of Russian gas, uh, of which Serbia relies heavily upon. Uh, Most of their gas actually does come from Russia. And so uh, the Ukrainian crisis and as well as their gas deal, um, their 10-year gas deal that they had before uh, recently ended with Gazprom. So basically in December, uh, Vucic had signed a gas deal that was for six months with uh, Putin. But that just expired after the six-month deadline had just recently expired on May 30th. Um, he just signed a new 30-year gas deal. Although the prices of Russian gas does increase, um, Vucic is keeping his uh, you know, stability of gas flowing into, and uh, in, into Serbia.
0: So we see Serbia and this new gas deal with Russia. But I also wanted to take a step back and draw some parallels with the rest of the European region and its dependence on Russian gas. So as you may know, and as our listeners may know, we have large Russian gas importers in the EU, such as Germany, who alone receives half of its natural gas from Russia. And we also have Germany, who in the second half of March of this year, remained very reluctant of EU bans on Russian energy imports and on other sanctions, so much that I do believe Germany was one of the last countries to really approve EU sanctions on Russia. So Michael, how exactly can we expect Serbia to adhere to some of these EU standards regarding sanctions towards Russia, given that countries within the EU have also struggled to outright implement them all because of this dependence on Russian gas?
2: Yeah, so that really is the challenge. And that is the golden question that uh, Vucic is going to have to answer and Vucic is going to continue having to answer um, as the Ukrainian crisis goes on and as he you know, hopes to have a European ascension. Um, you know, in the following years, one of the things that we can look back on is how um, the European Union actually and uh, other Western allies had pressured Olaf Scholz to end the Nord Stream Two pipeline deal with uh, the Russian, uh, with the Russian Federation, and it is going to be, you know, another challenge for Vučić to do the same to see if he's going to you know, have to give up on his European dream and to, in the end, you know, look towards a a pro-Russian future and um, more integration with the Russian Federation.
1: Indeed. So now that we've talked about Serbia's interests towards Russia in terms of gas, as well as national support, I think it's important we delve into some of Serbia's other interests, more specifically its aspirations when it comes to joining the European Union. So, as we know, since 2009, Serbia has been trying to gain EU membership with the EU, putting this issue on the sideline, especially uh, post-Brexit. So, I guess my question here would be, when it comes to these aspirations to join the EU, what are the active steps Serbia is taking to reach their ultimate goal of membership?
2: Okay, as of right now, I would say that Vucic is more or less unsure of his, uh, you know, possible ascension into the European Union. Earlier this month, we see that um, Vucic said that Serbia was maybe the only country to not make any progress on the front of European integration. And then more recently, on the yesterday, the 22nd of June, he said that um, he and other aspiring members, North Macedonia, Albania, and himself, Serbia, could possibly miss out on the EU Western Balkan meeting. Um, that is supposed to be a uh, meeting of the EU powers with the the Western Balkans who are aspiring to be in the European Union, and Vucic also said in December we had a we we saw a referendum being held in Serbia to change how judicial actors such as judges and prosecutors were elected into the country's you know judicial framework, and this would bring them into European standards, meaning uh, in essence an easier integration into the European Union. But in the end, despite the pressure from opposition groups, uh, the country had seen a simple majority uh, pass with around sixty percent. Of supporting the proposition to change uh, the judicial election system, um, which is of course uh, favorable for Vučić in his in his um, goals for European integration, but um, we need to look at the wider picture and see how other factors are being you know coming into play with how Vučić will be and if he will be into uh, integrated into the European Union in the next few years.
1: And Michael, uh, would you say there are any prominent players that are either disrupting or negatively influencing this process?
2: Yes, Serena, it's actually a great question. And one of the actors that's making it a lot more difficult for Serbia and Alexander Vucic right now is the German chancellor, Olaf Scholz. So, you know, during a two-day tour across the Western Balkans, Scholz was making a stop in Belgrade. And during his meeting with Vucic, you know, he was doubling down on the fact that Um, You know, all European aspirants are going to have to follow along with the European policy. And in that case, that means that Schultz is putting pressure on, you know, Vucic to one, apply the sanctions against the Russian Federation and against Vladimir Putin. And as well, saying that Serbia and Kosovo are going to have to recognize each other as independent states. You know, in the end, this this does mean that uh, Schultz is telling Vucic that he's going to have to pick between Russia or the European Union. Because, you know, one of the main reasons why Serbia and Vucic has been so close to Russia for so long is due to the fact that Russia has been, you know, a pretty tight security council seat for voting against uh, the Kosovo problem and in favor of Serbia. And, you know, this is really not a new thing for Serbia, understanding that they're going to have to follow with the European foreign policy and in regards to Kosovo. But with Schultz doing this at a time like right now, it's especially significant because we do see another European leader such as Schultz, you know, trying to lead the way for Vucic and for the Serbian uh, the Serbian population to be integrated uh, into the European um, into the European lock. But we we do see that it does come with conditions and it does come with a lot of uh, prerequisites that, you know, Vucic is going to have to work on.
1: Now, you mentioned Schultz's calls for Vucic regarding the status of Kosovo, as well as the pressure to kind of maintain this balancing act between East and West, um, as was mentioned in your article as well. So looking at the big picture on the world stage, it's interesting to see Um, How has this balancing act played out? Um, In other words, what actions do we see Vucic taking, uh, contradictory or not?
2: You know, of course, we see that Alexander Vucic having to do this balancing act between, you know, trading his loyalties between Putin, the European Union, and Xi Jinping and China. It's quite obvious that the Serbian president, you know, has has been stuck between the three options. Even though Vucic has uh, voted against Russia in the three General Assembly votes, uh, condemning the, Ukraine, the the invasion of Ukraine, it's clear that for the European Union, that what uh, Vucic has offered in terms of a repudiation is just not enough. And uh, this, this has come into play when the European Union has asked Vucic to uh, follow the European Union's foreign policy decisions in sanctions against Russia. Um, we also see that, you know, with Vucic voting against Putin in front of the world stage, it's um, it's not really surprising as 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 Serbia has also argued that it is always in conformity or most of the times in conformity with international law, and voting in favor of uh, UN resolutions that uh, conform with uh, international law. Um, had Vujic- had Vujic taken the choice to abstain from the two votes, it is or from the three votes rather, it would have likely put Serbia at further odds with the European Union, uh, making their ascension. Into the, the the European bloc, a lot more difficult and a lot less welcome. But we also need to remember the timing of which the Serbian elections that was taking place during um, Vučić not putting the sanctions against Russia, which probably would have you know made things a lot more difficult for him in terms of uh, getting reelected, and also um, you know the symbol the, the symbolism of his uh, UN General Assembly votes that. Did not, you know, take away much of his credibility among the Serbian public.
0: I think it's great that you mention all of this, particularly if we look more into the Serbian political realm. And I think there's a real possible fear That there might be a crack or a limitation in Vucic's balancing act. And while preparing for this episode, I read that over 63% of Serbia's trade is with the EU at the end of the day, and over 77% of their direct of the direct foreign investment that Serbia receives and development aid also comes from the bloc. So these statistics are showing us how significant the relationship is between Serbia and the EU. With that said, you know, what are the economic implications that could arise with the EU if Vucic continues such camaraderie with Putin?
2: So, I would say that Serbia is uh, guided by the protection of its own economic and political interests. And I would say that in the long run, um, one of these interests is actually going to be the integration into the European Union. We see that Aleksandar Vucic has made it, you know, through his time being the Serbian prime minister and the president of the country, um, European integration, one of the highest um, and one of the most important aspirations for for the country at a national scale. Um, I would also say that the biggest cost right now, though, is the deeper integration into the European Union um, that is being pressured by the, the lack of implementation of sanctions against Russia. I think that the European Union finds Serbia unfit to complete the ascension process um, and know, runs the risk of not fully benefiting from, the, from EU membership and from uh, full integration into the bloc. However, due to the fact that uh, Vučić sees European integration as more unlikely, he has you know, started been playing around with the idea of expanding the Open Balkan Initiative, which is a Schengen-like block between Serbia, North Macedonia, and Albania. It uh, allows the free travel of workers, the free movement of people, and um, it, it's, it's really almost being called a mini Schengen, but also in the, in the Western Balkans. However, though, some analysts also assert that the open Balkan initiative is a ploy for Serbia to maintain its dominance over the Balkan region, which also explains the hesitance of uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina, um, Kosovo and Montenegro into joining the pact, which um, may not be you know, the, the most viable solution for Serbia if they do not reach the full process of uh, European integration.
0: Yeah, so from what it sounds like, um, the biggest cost to Vucic if he continues this relationship with Putin would be ascension to the EU. But from what you've explained, he's also exploring this Open Balkan initiative, which in essence could be an alternative to whatever he loses out on with the EU within, you know, the Balkan region.
1: I completely agree, Marina. Moreover, I think that this initiative of the Open Balkan will Probably bring about new opportunities not only in the region of the Western Balkans, but as well as when it comes to negotiating and you know just dealing with external actors um, as we mentioned. So um, now we've touched upon the important players of the EU and Russia. However, Sino-Serbian relations have also greatly impacted Serbia's internal as well as external policies. In fact, in recent years, we've seen relations between Serbia and China blossom financially as well as culturally to the point where EU members of parliaments have voiced their concerns about Chinese investments and projects in Serbia. So, Michael, for those of us that are not as familiar with Sino-Serbian relations and, you know, what they mean, could you give us an idea of what the relations represent and what are some of the opportunities that are being sought here?
2: Yeah, so we definitely see a larger um, influence from the Chinese government geographically and financially in the, in the Serbian government. Uh, we also see, you know, there's a larger concentration of time and energy from the Chinese government in Serbia in terms of investment and in terms of um, uh, resources being allocated. Recently, we see that Serbia has accepted uh, some military equipment that they have shown off at their one of their military parades and one of their military um Display, so to speak. We, we saw that uh, China had provided them with uh, Chinese-made FK-3 surface-to-air missiles, as well as uh, CH-92A combat drones, as well as other Western and, uh, and Russian military technologies being used at this uh, military display. We also saw that Chinese FDI flows have you know, reached approximately 528.5 million euros in 2020 and imports from China to Serbia, tallying, you know, just over 3 billion euros worth in 2020 as well. Uh, that's according to the European Center of Foreign Relations. So, you, you know, we see the, the aspect of the China's motivation to invest into the region is through the Belt and Road Initiative, which uh, China trying to, you know, have a stronger hold on the global economy, and to trying to uh, put its name out into into more regions. We see them in uh, in uh, almost on every continent right now, uh, and you know it's no surprise that Serbia, as I said before, who is a country that relies on its own political and economic um, interests, would be going to China when they're offering you know a handout.
0: Okay, so just before we go into our top three takeaways, I wanted to just head back to our starting point, Vucic's policies, political and economic towards Putin. So you mentioned when you were giving us his background, Michael, that he served both as PM and president. And he's also been said to be an opportunistic leader during both of those political experiences. Serbia has remained either neutral or shifted their geopolitical loyalties according to the actors we have have discussed, so China, Russia, and the EU, whenever it's up to their own interests, depending on those interests. So how would you define right now Vucic's behavior and policies? Are they opportunistic? Are they neutral? Or are they possibly influenced by a domestic shift in the Serbian parliament with some new ultranationalist pol- parties entering the parliament and the political sphere?
2: Yeah, so I think to define uh, Vučić's behavior is also to define the challenges that he is currently facing and who he needs to please internationally. So following his win of the national election with around 2 million votes, um, he had vowed to continue his aim to see Serbia introduced into the European Union. But then a few weeks later, he signed a gas deal with Putin uh, after he was being pressured by the Union, as I currently stated um, to uh, deploy sanctions against the Russian Federation. So we can see that he is, you know, trying to please the European Union with a, this kind of like uh, post-election rhetoric, but also moving to uh, please Putin and to, you know, tighten the links with Putin despite having uh, pressure to deploy sanctions against him by, you know, signing a new gas deal. Um, another example of Vucic using his environment to his advantage was by uh, using the, the coincidental timeline of the Ukrainian war alongside his re-election to highlight the need that Serbia needs him and must keep him, uh, using the slogan, peace, stability, and Vucic. Um, though, However, in terms of, you know, ultra-nationalist parties entering the political sphere, it may threaten Vucic's ability to balance between the European and uh, and the European Union and Russia, as they are, you know, generally supportive of Putin's attack on Ukraine, and are opposed to any consideration of sanctions against Russia. And this is said by the uh, one of the international secretaries of Vučić's opposition party of the Serbian Dveri Party, Andrej Mitić. Uh, we see that anti-Russian policies as anti-Serbian policies. Uh, thus, you know, with this being said, two new anti-nationalist parties, the Dveri Party and the Serbian Oath Keepers. Uh, being introduced to the to the national parliament, it's definitely going to be an added pressure for Vučić to handle them in terms of you know domestic and foreign policy and how he's going to be able to continue this balancing act between Russia and the European Union. Um, you know if the ultranationalist parties get in the way and and they um, continue to be pro-Russian very uh, outspokenly, then it is going to be you know uh, very difficult for Vučić to try and uh, continue his ploy for European uh, integration.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for elaborating on this topic, Michael. Um, It seems that we've come to the end of our discussion, but before moving on to our Q&A section, we wanted to know what do you believe are the three top takeaways our listeners should have, more specifically in your process of research and analysis? I think that this question is especially relevant to the topic that we've discussed today, um, considering that there are always new players actors and all kinds of new information um, circulating this topic and it's very important to be able to distinguish between information, disinformation, as well as to be able to tell uh, what are facts and what are not. And Michael, please feel free to add your personal thoughts when answering to this question.
2: Yeah, definitely. You know, I'd say, you know, one of the first things to keep into mind when, you know, doing research and analysis is that um, one move by a particular leader is most of the times always done, um, you know, with a goal in mind, or I think as well as in a retaliatory uh, response, we see that a lot of times leaders will do something because something else is being done to maybe hurt their interests, or maybe to progress their interests towards um, a specific, you know, collective goal. Um, yeah. And the second one I do probably say is empathy is probably a pretty good thing to take into account when trying to understand a leader. Um, Knowing if they're empathetic or not will generally show you exactly what they want in terms of foreign policy decision. Um, Do they genuinely want what's better for their country? Or are they trying to, you know, put constraints on one of their rivals? or someone that's competing with them and the, you know in the whole uh, terms of the foreign policy and the uh, what's going on in the, on the world stage right now and lastly I would say when you're starting to understand your research and analysis I would in the international relations um, arena I would say that it's wise to take one leader at a time and one topic at a time and to really dive in and understand it uh, little by little you know I'd say that this would you know make you a lot better at um, being able to connect the dots to different uh, two different um, topics to different conflicts and you'll be able to see where each conflict you know is similar in in their own respects
0: Okay, Michael, thank you for those top three takeaways. And I think we've definitely implemented, as you've said, the trying to dive deep into different pieces of information and connecting them together to have a complete understanding of Vucic and of his current uh, political dilemma in this balancing act. But right now, it's time for our Q&A, which is a segment in which we discuss questions that are sent in by the viewers of our podcast in anticipation. Um, And they're directed always to you, to our writers. So the first question that we have is actually from Laura from Barcelona. And she asks, how does forging a relationship with Vucic help or impact Putin? So from a Russian perspective rather than a Serbian perspective.
2: Yeah, so of course we do see right now that uh, from a Russian perspective, the country is definitely losing, you know, a lot of influence and it does recognize that, especially with the fact that a lot of uh, European countries uh, and the European Union in in general are, you know, sanctioning Russia and kind of committing to an economic war with the Russian Federation due to the attack of Donetsk and Lugansk uh, regions of Ukraine. Um, Therefore, you know, more and more countries are aspiring to become NATO members. Uh, We see Finland and Sweden, for example, are, you know, um, taking a, uh, a, a faster route to become NATO, uh, members. And we also, you know, we can't forget the Republic of Georgia and Moldova. Um, so keeping Serbia as an ally, you know, allows Russia to keep uh, an ally in, in, uh, hopefully one day the European Union, but as for right now, an, uh, a reasonable ally in the Balkans, um, you know, and we also see that after the invasion of Ukraine, Putin cited the Kosovo precedent uh, for the Lugansk and Donetsk regions, uh, which is you know the same legal understanding that allowed Kosovo to become independent, and in effect would mean you know an independent Lugansk and Donetsk. However, uh, though with the the precedent does not actually hold any way under international law, uh, Russia's usual Putin's utilization of the precedent you know, put Serbia at a crossroads and it may prove that in the long run, they are no longer needed as a key ally for Vladimir Putin. Um, you know, because as, as we see Serbia, you know, juggling with the with the West, juggling with China, um, Vladimir Putin, I, I don't think right now, views, um, you know, Alexander Vucic as somebody who he can really rely on, uh, somebody that he can really trust in the Balkans. I think that right now, he's just kind of, you know, an opportunist leader that is um, trying to, you know, please everybody at the same time. And I think Putin really does recognize that.
1: Perfect. So for our second question, we have Christoph from Berlin. And Christoph's question is the following. What can the West do to change Vucic's opinion? I guess what Christoph means here is that what can you offer Vucic perhaps in order to change his stance when it comes to Putin and Russia?
2: Yeah, you know, for one, I, I don't think that there's much that the European Union can offer realistically to President Vucic to change his opinion on the matter at hand. Uh, to be honest, from a negotiation standpoint, I think it'll be pretty difficult um, to take whatever Vucic says at full value due to the fact that he does seem to switch between his key allies on a normal basis between, you know, China, the West and, uh, and Russia. Um, though I do think that the West should put more pressure on Vucic to comply with you know, European foreign policy. I don't think that offering Serbia an expedited path to European ascension would really make sense as it has offered to Ukraine and uh, and Moldova right now. I, I, I don't think that offering it to uh, Serbia, who is and has been, you know, pretty friendly with uh, the Kremlin and, and Vladimir Putin would be, you know, a very, a very smart idea. Um, so I think at the end of the day, you know, the European Union, uh, or Wanderlei and, and you know, a lot, the European uh, leaders, they're gonna have to make a decision, and they're gonna have to let Vucic know that it's going to have to be, um, you know, uh, Vladimir Putin in Russia, or it's have, going to have to be the European Union. I, I think that in the end of the day, um, the the invasion of Ukraine really put Vucic at a, at a crossroads, and it's going to have to, and he's gonna have to prove himself to the Europeans um, that he's able to you know, comply with European norms, uh, not be an illiberal leader as, uh, as him and uh, Viktor Orban of Hungary have been and also been, uh, you know, pretty friendly with, um, with Vladimir Putin. I, I really don't think that the European Union wants somebody, uh, another Viktor Orban, to, you know, be um, causing problems in, in, in the Union. And I think that, you know, Vucic, at the end of the day, he's going to have to prove himself And uh, he's going to have to do that pretty quickly.
0: Okay, so to wrap up, I just wanted to go over everything we've discussed today. From Serbian domestic sentiment and parliamentary pressure on Vucic's leadership, to Serbian dependence on Russian gas, and to the possibility of Serbian membership or ascension to the EU. We've also touched upon the different actions taken by Vucic and his representatives and the economic and political costs of said camaraderie with Putin. And I think one thing that this discussion with Michael has been made very clear to all of us, including to anyone listening, is that Vucic's relationship with Putin and the extent to which that relationship actually develops is not an easy political decision. On the one hand, we have a country who is very dependent upon Russian energy imports and who relies on Russia to support um, or their block on f- international recognition of Kosovo's independence, including we have this a brotherhood between Russian and Serbian population with only 26 percent of Serbs blaming Moscow for the current Ukrainian invasion and a very pro-Russia outlook regarding the invasion. On the other hand, we have Serbia seeking ascension to the EU, which is also a large trading partner for the country and who has pressured the country into placing economic sanctions against Russia. So how to please both Putin and the EU is the question that we really attempted to analyze today. So big thank you to Michael for joining us in our second episode of the Raya Affairs series and for helping us and our listeners really understand the elements that are in the process of answering this essential
2: question. Thank you so much to both uh, you, Marina, and Serene for having me uh, on today's uh, Raya Affairs podcast. It was a really great time, and uh, you know I can't wait to see you guys next time.
1: Thank you, Michael. It's been a pleasure.
0: For those of you who are interested in reading more, make sure to really check out Michael's article. It's under the link in the podcast description. Or you can also check it out at rayagroup.org. And make sure to follow us on Instagram, raya.now. It's where we post all the latest articles, as well as our new podcast episode topic in which you can send your questions for the Q&A.
1: Well then, it seems that we've come to the end of our podcast. It was a pleasure hosting this talk today. We're your co-hosts, Sarin and Marina. Goodbye from us, and thanks for tuning in. Have a great day in your sphere of influence.